This is CliffCentral.com. Good morning. Happy Monday. Happy February, more importantly. Oh, wow. So happy January is done. It was a good month sporting-wise, but I think as a human, as a South African, it wasn't the greatest month. It's difficult to kind of live as you want to live in January. But hey, onwards and upwards, it is the Bounce Show in what is now the third episode. I'm not counting just yet. I'm sure there'll be hundreds, all being well. Thank you for joining me once again. If you're listening live, you can get involved in the show by going onto the WeChat uh, profile. Just go onto the Cliff Central official account and message me. It comes directly to a screen that's right in front of me. Alternatively, chat on Twitter at Follow the Bounce. That is me. If you do that, I will be able to chat to you about anything, really. There are so many different talking points to get into today. Wow, what a huge weekend we just had with uh, tennis, cricket, golf, a bit of rugby, massive controversy. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> we haven't even gotten to favor and the, the referee meltdowns are already taking place. That's going to be 2016, I think, just like any other year. Refs do get the, on the nuts of South Africans. But who is to be at fault? Well, we'll get into that. But just to let you know what's happening on the show today, we have a very interesting chat with Sean Ilford from, I think, Cape Town. He is Judge Rugby on Twitter. Now, I've been trying to work out what's happening in Super Rugby this year, conference-wise, who plays who, all that kind of stuff. So I thought I'd rather get someone who knows a hell of a lot more about rugby than I do. Now, Sean also knows a lot about the European stuff that takes place on those muddy fields. And yeah, I just thought he'd be a much better guy than me, stammering and stammering over it. Then Dan from Conquer Sport is back. And uh, yeah, this week, <laughs> the big tennis match-fixing conversation, it's going to happen. Now, Dan, being the incredible writer that he is, he's put together this post, which we'll talk about obviously at length, which uh, he's interviewed a young South African tennis player who knows all about the hardships of tennis and how difficult it is to make it on tour, stay on tour, and even break even. We're not even talking about making money at the moment. We're talking about breaking even. So Dan's got some incredible insights there. And what I'd like to do is just elaborate on two more sports because, as you know, match fixing is everywhere nowadays. Huh? It really is just horrendous. And I don't see any sign of it getting any, any better. People are desperate. People have money. People like to bet. It really is a vicious circle. And uh, yeah, we see more and more of it. There's also some cheating in cycling, but some fresh cheating in cycling. Just when you thought maybe some EPO and the blood was good enough and that was where it's going to end. Well, I've got mechanical doping to touch on for you. All of that in the news. But first, I've got a little song here that I'm going to play for you. Just when you think Chris Gale's hits are only ever confined to the cricket field. Have a listen to this. Catch you back with the news after this. Yeah, absolutely. Just smashing this in. Mmm. Ooh la la. Don't look in your eyes. A little bit uncomfortable. Don't blush, baby. I haven't felt that. Don't. Don't blush, baby. Don't. Don't blush, baby. I haven't felt that. Don't. Don't blush, baby. Don't. Don't blush, baby. I haven't felt that. Don't. Is that sexy enough for you? That's Mel and Chris with Don't Blush, Baby. Original kit-free song. Well done to Jim <laughs> Jim Churcher for that. Chris Gale and that horrible incident with the Don't Blush, Baby. The, the female reporter at the cricket that one time. Wow. 
pretty funny. Huh? Like, unless you get made into a song, you're not actually really relevant when it comes to controversies. So if you're going to do something that's going to create a bit of a, what do you call it? Create uh, <laughs> some heated debates. If they're not making a song out of you, well, it's not going to count. Right, so on the messages... Uh, yeah, if you, there's a good message coming through. Duncan's going to help me out here. So anything that does come through, it's worth reading. So I get to every single one of them. Duncan is right here. So if you've got something to say, pile on through. But let's get into the news. It was a very interesting weekend of sport. Mostly because, well, look, tennis is a big deal right now because you think there's some really, really good people in it. The men's draw has got the likes of Djokovic, Nadal, Federer, Murray. There's Wawrinka. There's Kei Nishikori. Uh, Joel Fosonga is always inter- interesting. They've got good names. They've got like a really nice pool of players. Djokovic might come out on top, but still, there is enough interest in there. Then in the women's, you've got Serena Williams and you've got a whole bunch of other women just trying to keep pace with her. So... With the Aussie Open being the first Grand Slam of the year, all eyes were on that for the last two weeks. Djokovic came out against Murray. 6-1-7-5-7-6 was the end result. And though it does seem one-sided, Murray was just... There were so many parts of that game where you think, wow, you can't actually put these two apart. They are just so strong. They both have very similar games. But what it came down to, and one of the commentators alluded, alluded to it, is that Murray is just not quite as good as Djokovic and Djokovic will always be that way unless Murray finds something different in his game. They have a very different, sorry, a very similar way of conducting themselves on the court and very similar way of just going about how they, they break down their opponents. So obviously if a player is better at doing that, he'll always win. It's just as simple as that. If you've got various styles that you think boxing or you think um, batting, cricket, rugby players, whatever, you're better exponent of something, you will always win. So what Murray's going to have to now do is, well, obviously he becomes a dad today or tomorrow. Good for him. And he needs to find a little edge, something that can be different that Djokovic isn't going to expect because right now, one-way traffic, that is Djokovic's sixth Aussie Open title. That was Murray's fifth final. It's got to hurt, huh? So Djokovic is now on 11 major titles. Now 11 titles. Federer is 17. So he's got a fair bit to do, but he's not so old which is a really good thing. But who is going to be the real challenger that's going to kind of push Djokovic all the way? If you think now, Nadal's in a spot of bother. His left arm is kicked out. He's spent way too much time on, I think, painkillers and the wear and tear of early parts of his career. The fact that, you know, he has a very high-octane game, very, very jarring on the joints. So it'll be interesting to see who's actually really going to challenge. Federer is kind of just over the hill a little bit. I wouldn't say a lot, but just a little bit. Uh, Wawrinka also, he's not going to be, he's not going to just kind of over, overthrow Djok, uh, sorry, yeah, Djokovic tomorrow. Who is going to be the person that's going to be the true contender? Because Djokovic is looking pretty good for a slam right now, or the, the grand slam. French Open's always been his undoing, but you gotta, gotta fancy the fact that his game is so complete for that surface, any surface. In fact, they could go to the moon right now. And you know Djokovic will be favorite. It's just, it's just amazing, amazing to watch. The guy really is top of his game. Kerber beating Serena Williams. Well, look, if the, if you were really a betting person and you liked the odds and had a bit of a go, that would be the only way you would have backed Kerber for this. Williams, sorry, Williams in that semi-final, I think it, it took less than an hour. It was like 6-love, six 6-4 six against uh, Radwanska, if I'm not mistaken. And, um, wow, <laughs> there it is, 6-4. 3-6-6-4, Kerber beats Williams in the final. Serena has just been so dominant in Australia. She just gets that final and she wins, and the Aussie crowd love her. So now she's only stuck on 21 titles. Shame, only 21 titles. So she had to win this one over the weekend, and she would have drawn level with Steffi Graf. 
but not to be. So now she has to worry about the French Open being the place where it is. Hmm. Fifth, cu- fifth round draw for the FA Cup that has taken place or took place yesterday. And the cool thing is that all the major teams are really still in the mix here. Chelsea will go on to play Man City right in the next round, which is really cool. Reading will take on the winner of West Brom versus Peterborough. Watford take on Leeds. Remember how good Leeds were back in the day? In the early 90s, they were the business. Anyway, they dropped since then, and uh, they're still in the FA Cup. Very good. Shrewsby Town, they take on Man United. Blackburn Rovers take on Liverpool or West Ham. Now, Liverpool have got to hold into this because there's no way they'll win the league. Uh, or, you know, obviously, European participation as well. Then you've got Spurs versus Crystal Palace. Defending, double defending champions, Arsenal will take on Hull City. And then Bournemouth versus Everton. Locally, there was some Premier League action the Epsa Premiership, sorry, here in SA. And uh Pirates Chiefs won one. And there's always a big amount of fanfare around that match. Ultimately, you know you see really high scoring games. It's it's one of those games that like the players have to raise themselves for an almightily large occasion and they do sort of cancel each other out a lot of the time. But Sundowns, well they had a nice win away at Maritzburg United. That away win they're taking three points clear at the top. Second Black Aces. So Chiefs and Pirates, a little bit, a little bit more to do on that one. The big thing for the weekend was, well, should we go to cricket or golf? Hmm, I'm gonna say golf, but more of a positive story right now. Brandon Grace is moments away from getting into the top ten of the world rankings uh, because America's behind us. I've been refreshing this page since this morning to see where he is. He is currently eleventh. As soon as they refresh on week five of the world rankings, we'll see where he is. But what a guy, what a player. All-round game, loves a bit of wind. And when the wind gets up like it does in Qatar, then the the rounds did level off a lot. Breaking par was a big achievement over the weekend. And Brandon Grace, well, he had joint best round of the day. He had a two-shot win in the end. And in winning that Qatar Masters again, first back-to-back winner in the tournament, he won 6.6 million rand. It's always nice to see how much these guys earn. Well, it's not, it's just kind of depressing. But it's his seventh European Tour title. That is a really big deal. Do you think that he hasn't been around for a hell of a long time? He is still relatively young. And seventh European Tour win, that is such an incredible achievement. That's 10 pro wins now. 10 pro wins. Fantastic stuff. Moving on to cricket. Uh, before we get into that, we can take a message. Anonymous uh, Black Box. I think I'll just call you Black Box right now. Can we talk about how Tux Cricket haven't lost a competition since 1966? Can we talk about how Colin Ingram has scored 87% since he was dropped in 2013? Swapping for Fuff, uh, Black Box, Tux Cricket is a lower echelon sport, so it's a bit niche. I think we've got a lot of things to kind of cover. We can't get into club cricket as well, but bloody good on them. And then the Colin Ingram debate, well, remember how good he was? He he came on the scene, he has an ODI 100, and he has been, well, he stayed here. He hasn't gone over to England or anything like that. So I I agree with you. I think he's definitely value to bring into the, into the squad. Swapping him out for Faf. Well, Faf did score 70 this last weekend when he went back and played some domestic cricket. See, Faf, you know, that he's got such a great one-day record. It's difficult to kind of throw him out of the mix. If you mean for test match cricket, then, yep, yep. I think Colin Ingram, look, the fact this guy can live in East London, uh, that just shows dedication to his country. So he should be rewarded for that, if nothing else. Fair, fair point, fair point. So, in other cricket news, though, we play England now in an ODI series. There'll be five ODIs, 3rd of February, that's uh, Wednesday, playing Bloom. 
6th of Feb will be in PE, 9th of Feb at Centurion, 12th of Feb Wanderers, 14th of Feb Cape Town. Now, I think the Wanderers won't be quite close to sold out, but try to get some tickets for that. It's going to be a very, very interesting series. Now, people are saying that the home team will go in as favorites, but I say bollocks to that. This English side, I think, will be even better as a one-day side as they were a test team. They've shown ever since they basically did nothing at that Cricket World Cup last year. There's a team that's just suddenly built on Ian Morgan's leadership. They've got really good batsmen. They've got hungry bowlers. They did lose uh, Finn. Uh, had some injury concerns. Broad has now stayed behind. But it's a pretty good side. And the way that Taylor's batting right now, then you've got Bairstow as well. Uh, Root, brilliant. Obviously brilliant. Stokes, amazing. Hales, more suited to this format of the, of the game. They've got a couple of other bowlers that you might not have heard too much about. They'll come in. But it's a really good side who play a very attacking cricket. So the ODI side for England, I reckon they're going to be favourites here, and SA will do bloody well to win. The England side did thrash the SAA side by 163 runs, which does beg the question, is there much depth in this uh, Proteas mix right now? We know we've got a decent side, we've got a decent squad, we'll always have that. But what's outside of that? And even more depressing, what's outside of that at youth level? S under 19 has crashed out of the SA, or sorry, under the 19 World Cup. They lost to Namibia. Now this was being thrashed by Bangladesh in their first game. They lost to Namibia. Now they're out of the tournament, essentially. They now go on to the plate thanks for coming section. And they're going to play Scotland this week as well, but you lose interest now because there's nothing to play for. Some big questions in what's happening with our development. Why are not, why are the, the best players not going? I know there's going to be an issue of race here. Issue of transformation. All these things are very unique to this country and we have to consider them. But you've got to ask yourself the question. Surely there's enough talent coming through the development systems and surely there's enough that we can make not only a competitive 11, but a pretty bloody good one. Very, very worrying indeed. Um, I don't really have any other answers. I don't know too much about that in development levels. But from what I heard, there's some really good school sides out there who've done really, really well domestically and not a single representative in this SN19 team. Ray Jennings left, and with that seems a whole bunch of structure, uh, whether it be recruitment, management, or just delivery on the on the day. Very, very worrying indeed. Final story we're going to get to, oh yeah, uh, Gulam Bodhi. It seems that he might go to jail after all, because his case is now with the cops. It might get lost in the docket, but you never know. You've got to hope that justice will prevail. Final story, how about this small motor found in a cyclist bike? Yep, World Cyclocross Championships. Femka van Drisha. She was pulled over after one lap of this whole thing. Look, some of these details are quite sketchy. I don't know if the bike just packed up or she was literally, uh, she was found out, but mechanical doping is now the phrase being used because there was a small motor. So what they did was they pulled the seat off and then there was, sorry, they pulled the seat off and there were wires coming out of the seat. So they're so thinking, well, hang on, this isn't very good. There was a small electric motor, which is essentially going to help propel the bike. So, you know, you don't really, you can kind of give it as hard as you want. And you know, there's going to be some sort of maintenance uh, on your chain, speed wise. So Famka is denying all of this. She said that it was a friend's bike. It wasn't even her bike. They did a practice run and then all the bikes got put in the truck. This one was then cleaned up and she was put on it and it had a motor. So she thinks she's innocent, but this is just another dark day in cycling. Because if it's happening here, you've got to think it's happening somewhere else. There's been rumors that this kind of stuff has been happening and to look out for it. And is this the first case? Well, it does not look good. It just does not look good. And uh, yeah, you try to be upbeat about these things. But if it's not blood doping, people taking a dive, whatever it is, mechanical bike. 
that's just pulling the piss. It really is. Okay, after this, we're going to get our chats. Time is whizzing by already. Super Rugby. If you don't know what's happening, don't worry. You're not the only person. We can get to Sean after this. First, some wise, wise words from an old video from Brendan Fenter. Brendan, how disappointed are you? Oh, disappointed. Very disappointed. Very disappointed. What went wrong? Because you got off to such a wonderful start. Yeah, it's interesting. I wonder what went wrong. I have to think about it. Think about it. Well, what did go wrong? I'll have to look, look and think about it. Think about it deeply, very deeply. Did it hinge in the end on a bit of genius from Sorelli Bombo? Bit of genius, bit of magic. Sorelli Bombo, very interesting, very good, yeah. Very good. Three cheers for Sorelli Bombo. Very good, very good. What were you happy with about your side? Oh, happy. Happy everything. Everything. Very good. Very happy with my team. But you didn't win, did you, Brendan? Yeah, win. We didn't win, it's true. Yeah. It Why didn't you win? Oh, good question, that. Very good question. Win. It's, it's important to win. It is important to win. We must try harder. Absolutely, yeah. So you think it's a lack of effort? Oh, lack of effort, lack of effort. can't think it's a lack of effort. Wouldn't so, never so, 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 so what is it, Brendan? Uh, what would it be? Let me think. Uh, I can't, I'm not sure. I'll have to think about that one. Think about it deeply. Okay, thank you, Brendan. Thank you very much. Real interview. Seriously, I, I, that's not a piss take. Well, it is a piss take, but it's an actual interview. Right, next up we've got Sean on the Skype line. Uh, Hello, mate. Sean, hi. Hello, how are you? Uh, super, super. Yes, Duncan, I'm making him louder. Sean, okay, sorry. Um, it always takes about three seconds to get a, a caller on because you know, you've got to watch levels and that kind of stuff. But thanks for joining me for the first time on The Bounce Show. Obviously, follow Thank you, you, follow you on Twitter. Thank you, Matt. I appreciate it. Uh, it's good to be here. Yeah, you will definitely be more of an authority on what's going on. So I think we should get straight into it. Have you Have you discussed with anyone so far how this new system works and would you be able to share it with us? Yeah, it's 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 a tough one, and the more I look at it, and the more uh, you know, a lot of South Africans um, and the South African supporters are feeling a bit hard done by, and they should rightfully feel so because uh, effectively, come knockout stages, there's not going to be many South African teams involved. Okay, that's a really dodgy start. So even if our teams do particularly well, their chances of being in this competition are a bit harder. Yeah. So okay. So basically. There's 18 teams, as we all know. But those two, that 18 are split into two groups, which is an Australasian group, which is the Aussies and the Kiwis. Okay. And then the Southern African group, which is basically South Africa plus the um, Jaguars and the Sunwolves. So that's uh, two sort of groups of one of 10 and one of eight. And then those, each of those groups are split in two themselves, <laughs> which is where, where the problem lies. Okay, wait, Those, so, hang uh, a second here, Sean. I, I'm going to have to stop you every now and again because if I'm going to get confused here and there, I think a lot of people will. Jaguars, yeah. Argentina's team, Sunwolves are going to be a Japanese side. Yeah. Okay. I've got some questions about those two teams later on, but carry on. Okay, so far we got you. So there's how many right. how many pools in total now? Four. Four pools, correct. Okay, fantastic. So... Of those four groups, there are um, of those four pools. The winner of those groups qualify for the knockouts. Okay, that's that's just the way it's going to be. Top qualifies, but then after that, they merge the two subgroups together. So that remember, I told you the Australasian group. Their two pools are merged together, and then they have the next best three qualify. Okay. And for the Southern African group, the two are, are merged and only the next one qualifies. Right. So essentially, Australians and the Kiwis of their 10 teams 
we'll have five teams qualify. And of the South African, Southern African group, which includes Argentina and Japan, is an eight-team pool. Only three teams will qualify. Right. Okay. I get you. So that does make a yeah. lot more sense. This is definitely something that must also be on a whiteboard or something, <laughs> a flow diagram. Oh, man. And you've got to – it's it's going to be confusing because it's going to be the same setup uh, where um, a side, even though they top their group, will qualify, may not have the most points on the on the combined log. One of those again, you know? Right. Okay, so what's the situation with play, with teams not playing other teams? I know that because there is four pools essentially, and obviously, mm. like you know, people can't always travel to Argentina, Japan, Durban, Melbourne, all in the same like year. So that this is going to happen because of the nature of this expansion slash greed exploitation, call it what you will. So uh, I like exploitation; it's a good one. So, do you want to just give an example of like of, of one of the local teams and who they're going to miss out on? And is this going to happen every year, or will there be a rotation business? Yeah. So I don't. I don't have an. Ex- uh, I'm trying to see if I can find a, an example of who's playing. I didn't. I didn't load that. But the, what's going to happen is is you the two African conferences will play across each other, and then you will play other teams in the Australasian conference, mm-hmm. whether it's the New Zealand's or the Australians, but you will miss out on playing teams. So you will not play everyone um, in super rugby. You could spend a whole season and, and not play the Crusaders as an example, or, or play the Waratahs, or um, you could also sp- not sp- spend a whole season and not play um, the Sunwolves or the Kings. So you look at that and already, you know, some guys get lucky. They don't play a really strong side, so they're effectively not going to lose those points. But if you're not playing against a weaker side, you're not gaining those five points where you'd expect to. So it's a little bit flawed in that way. And, yeah, it just doesn't – it's just not – doesn't sit right with me. Okay. Well, look, I mean, that's nothing new in the the tournament itself. Yes. But how many times – but, I mean – Say in the past you would maybe miss out on two teams. I mean, are you missing out on three or four teams? Like, how does it work? Because I know there's going to be what 135 matches in total. So between yeah. 18 teams, you're going to play pretty much everyone. How many? How many do you miss out in a season? Sure, I, I'd be lying. I think you miss. I think you miss between. I think you miss about two. I'm guessing. Okay, so it's pretty, so it's pretty similar. Okay, so it's pretty similar. It's just that we get less chance. But then again, if you look at player quality, is this really? That's a bad thing. Or are Sanzar actually said, look, player quality wise, the Aussie, Australasian, New Zealand conference, they're going to have better teams. You look at all the results. So even if our teams do well, we've only really got a couple of teams that can really go through. So is this a bad thing after all? Uh, you know, I, if we want to be the best and, uh, and you want to be competitive, then you want to be fielding the best and playing the best. And uh, we are heavily watered down, and, and with the whole issue going on uh, um, at the Kings, it's it's getting even worse because essentially they they are months behind prep, which which is going to hurt them in terms of uh, um, of how they maintain for the season. Well, Ch- but, Cheeky, um, Cheeky Watson only knows his fate a day after their first game if he's going to be there or not because there was fisty cuffs and all kinds of things. This is a mess. No, it's it's terrible, and the. The, the the Japanese side is also there's a hell of an issue going on in Japan um, in terms of, well all the rugby lovers in terms of what's happening there the prices of the tickets are astronomical but they also don't really they've just kind of finalized their team I don't know about just under a month ago and they don't look like they're going to rock many boats in the super rugby uh, um, super rugby stakes 
Meanwhile, the Argentinian side are looking like they could win it in their first year. They're looking very strong. So it's a bit of a. It's going to take us everyone two seasons to come to terms with the whole uh, the whole setup. Anyway, I well, feel certainly. But I mean, Sean, wouldn't it be in their best interest to have essentially a national Japanese team to go in there? Like whoever's at the World Cup. I know that some guys play overseas and there's different contracts in place. But it would definitely be in their best interest to have the best unit, right? Or is yeah, this going I to be agree. impossible and, for them? Um, a guy like uh, Goromaru, who's uh, is basically become a household name in, in rugby, um, has signed for the Reds, so he won't be playing right, Super okay. Rugby for his home for his home franchise. But definitely, like the, the rest of the bunch, I mean, that would make a lot of sense. And if the Jaguars slash Pumas slash Argentina we lost real team, um, they can do the same because then as soon as they go from that to Super Rugby Championship, it's like, well, bring it on. Yeah, they uh, they're going to be a force this year in the Rugby Championship as well because. Most of the sides, uh, well, Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, take almost take a week to gel. And uh, because the guys haven't been playing together um, the whole tournament and, and all that uh, for, sorry, for the last few weeks, meanwhile, the Jaguars have, have virtually got 60% of their national team playing. So, you know, their, their continuity is going, to, um, is going to show. Well, that's a win. Well, Sean... Jeez, look at that. Huh? I mean, we try to discuss Super Rugby and 10 minutes goes faster than you can say, Heineken Mayer, we should never come back in Rugby. Sean, <laughs> yeah, um, that's true. cock on block here. Are any of our teams got any chance this year when you take all things in consideration? Um, I, I think so. I think it's, yes, we're going to definitely have two, possibly three sides. I reckon we'll have two sides in the knockouts. Um we need to make sure that those sides and the knockouts are playing at home. I think that's that's key. But um, we also need to ensure that they have enough points so we have a favorable uh, positioning in terms of who we play. Because the bottom line is, is you want to play an Australian or a New Zealand side at home um, and uh, and you want to make sure that you maintain your, your home ground advantage as, as, as long as possible. Yeah, sure. But the Bulls are looking good. I, I do I do like what they've got there. They've got some. The problem is I think they might just be a little bit young this year. Um, I think they just when it gets to knockouts, they might might be quite intimidating for them because of uh, of their Super Rugby experience and just the general age. But I think they're definitely a team to watch. I think the Stormers. You know, if all the if everything goes according to what we're hearing in terms of they're playing, going to be playing some great running rugby. They're, they're going to be kick, kicking the ball to regain possession, that sort of stuff. You know, it's very exciting. Um, uh, you know, they, they should do it. And if they play knockouts at home, um, they are very, very good. Um, and that's really where they want to be. If the Storms are playing at home, they're in with a shot all the time. And then, you know, maybe it's a toss-up between the Lions and the Sharks. The Lions have no, been together no for toss up three there. years. There's no toss-up there. The Sharks haven't got a chance. Yeah, I suppose, you know, you look at their team and you think, you know, this is the year they've got to actually do it. So you're right, maybe, maybe they don't. But don't be surprised if they do put their hand up for a couple of weeks, that maybe they gain a bit of momentum. I think they might surprise a little bit more. But for the Sharks, you know, top of the table is the only place they want to be. That's where their supporters see them, and and that's um, how their rugby's been in the past. But I think the Lions, this is this is the year for Uckers, um in terms of they're not the new boys anymore. They're not the youngsters. They they've got a good core. Um, now they must push on and, uh, and yeah. we'll wait and see. So, uh, the South African group's going to be very, very competitive. And I can tell you now, come the end of the season, someone is going to miss out on knockouts that deserves to be there. Well, Sean, I look forward to watching a few of the games. Uh, I can't say a whole bunch, but I'm sure I'll tap into your amazing resources because it is, it's a long tournament, 135 matches. But hey, 
It's a good start. Thanks for getting us off the right footing, at very least. Uh, where can we find more of you, Sean, if you want to find your week, weekly insights? Oh, um, you can follow me on Twitter at Judge Rugby. Yep. Um, everything will, will go through there. My, uh, my rugby ramblings across all, uh, all tournaments will go in there and obviously focus on super rugby. And then, um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. If I post anything on my blog, um, it'll come through a link through there on Twitter. And then I've got a Facebook page, um, called Judge Rugby. You can pop cool. on and have a look for some videos and content. All right, Sean, thanks so much for your time. We've got Dan from Conquer Sport in the studio. First, we're going to get to a little ad, and then we're going to come back with tennis, 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 tennis. So much talk about in tennis right now. I am the future of South Africa. On my shoulders, I carry the hopes and dreams of generations to come. I'm eager to learn, but even more eager to use my knowledge for good. I know that it's not where I come from, but where I'm going to that really matters. At Sibanya Gold, we believe our youth is worth its weight in gold, which is why we are so committed to developing, nurturing, and grooming our young people into future leaders. Sibanya Gold, we are one. And is this... Noisy business, this tennis, eh, Dan? Very noisy. Who was that? It's like Sharapova. <laughs> Gosh, some stuff there right there. Well, well, glad to see you back. It's now, what, it's the third week we're doing this. Third right? week, yeah. Now, I've got to say, I how this works is that Dan knows a whole bunch uh, from a very sort of analytical side of sport, as I keep saying each week to intro him. On a Friday, he sends me a, a piece and he says, "Give it a read," and uh, you know, we'll give it, we'll give it a full air on Monday. So, tennis match fixing is what he tackled last week, and I got to say, Dan, this might be your best piece yet. Thank you. I'm not just saying it because I've run out of things to say in the intro <laughs> to you. I read it, enjoy it. Cheers. So, just before the Australian Open started. The match fixing thing kind of broke. Uh, I think it was BBC's website that kind of had the and, first story. And BuzzFeed. BBC and BuzzFeed, okay. So those are our two sources. And they said, well, you know, match fixing isn't just about cricket. It isn't just about people cheating in cycling. Tennis is very much the sport. And if you think about it, there isn't a more ideal sport for match fixing. It's so easy. There's various points. There's various segmented plays where you can alter this and that. It's not too difficult. And when you really think of it, what where does match fixing really get born from? It comes from a willing taker and a willing better. Some people aren't going to win the big prize fund. There's only one Novak Djokovic. There's only so people who are those millionaires and you see their houses on cribs and all that kind of stuff. There are some people who are slaving away, basically looking to break even. So when someone comes up to you by the sly, back of the change room, and says, look, it's $50,000. You are going to lose tomorrow. It isn't one of those, go away, I hate you, don't ever come near me again. Reality in life is everyone has bills to pay, right? Everyone has it. So whether that 50 gets taken or not, this is what we're going to explore today. And are we looking at this from the whole picture, really? Because one thing just saying, oh, these dodgy tennis players, you can't trust them, they're on the take, I don't like the sport anymore. There's more to it than that. So Dan, where do we start with this? Because I read in the article that you wrote that you had a very interesting interview with uh, Chanel Simons. Chanel Simmons, yeah. So Chanel she, Simmons, she's, yeah. She's the, um, the top ranked female South African tennis player at the moment, but she is ranked 318th. And I guess just to start off, in no way do I condone, um, match fixing. It's, 
as I say in the article, sport is the only form of mass entertainment that is unscripted. So when you take that away, as we hope, yeah, as you hope, exactly. So when you take that away, I mean, for me, it's even worse than doping, uh, match fixing. So no way do I condone it, but I think it's important to understand, as you say, why people do it. If you ranked in the top 50 or the top 100 and, and you're earning, you know, big money playing in tournaments and you fix a match, that's despicable and you should be banned for life. Unfortunately, we paint all match fixes with the same brush and we don't understand the situation that they live in. So Chanel, who's ranked 318th, it costs her $30,000, US dollars a year to travel and to play tennis. Um, that's after she gets a discount from her dad, who's an SAA pilot. She pays the same for flights for Novak Djokovic. Um, so the costs are the same, but what they're earning is so massively different that you can understand why people in the, in the lower ranks want to, want to match fix. Just, okay. just to stay in the game. So let's just go there again. So if you, you turn pro, like any other sport, you turn pro, now you have the ability to make money. But you've got to pay every year to be part of the LPGA. Or, sorry, not LPGA. WWTA. That's right. So she, right off the bat, she's got to pay $850, which is a, which is a joining fee that, to register on the tour. Okay, then, time, times everything by 16, uh, or maybe more. Maybe, sure, who knows? Exa- exactly. Then there's, then there's visas, which come, which she says come to about $500. Wow. Um, you gotta to pay to compete, unless you're in the top 10, you, you don't get invited, you gotta to pay to compete, then you gotta pay for your flights, then you gotta pay for restringing of your rackets every week, which, can come to up to a hundred dollars a week. Then you got to pay for your food. You haven't got a sponsor. Those rackets, you need about six of them. Exactly, exactly. So they might give you, they might give you the racket, but they Mm. don't restring it for you. Then you got to pay for coaching. Then you got to pay for travel. Then you got to pay for transport from the hotels. Then you got to pay for your hotel itself. I mean, it's a, it's a very, very costly business. So if you're not breaking even, but you see yourself as a professional tennis player, the thought of going and quitting and getting a desk job must be a nightmare. So the temptation to fix is what is what we're saying in the article is understandably there. Yes, of course it's easy to say how dare these people do it. It's completely wrong, but for me there's something very wrong with the way the sport is run if if professional tennis players are tempted to cheat and and though I say it's it's not exactly the same as a as a mother stealing a loaf of bread to feed her hungry children. Sure. If you look at a society and you wonder why there's crime Maybe instead of punishing the criminals, you should sort the system out. And I kind of draw a parallel there. That instead of instead of banning all the players, especially the low-ranking ones, maybe tennis needs to rectify the way it's structured. Let's just have a little ballpark there again. You you mentioned the sort of basic running costs. Now this never comes into the mind of Novak Djokovic. Sure, sure, because he just earned two point four million dollars for winning the Australian Open, thirty thousand dollars a year. I mean, he's sorted. So essentially, what she needs just to kind of get on the court, she needs about thirty thousand. US. Right. And, and the, and the problem is, is that that would be fine if she, if, if she were ranked in the top 100. I mean, the, the, the player that lost in the first qualifying round, that's before, I mean, this match isn't even televised in the Australian Open. If you lose the very, very first match, which is a couple of hundred places down, you win $4,000. What she won last year playing in the, in the minor leagues of tennis, so to speak, was $6,000. So the most she can win in a, in a, in a small ranking tournament, which is called the Futures Tour Tournament, is $2,000. If you lose in the quarterfinals, you make $37. $37 for a quarterfinalist in a competition that costs in excess of $100 to enter. It, it just doesn't make sense. They might as well just give her a rosette and a Coke. Do you know what I'm saying? That so sounds like just junior school stuff. It's, it's ridiculous. So I'm not saying that we need to, that tennis needs to become a, a communist sport where everyone earns the same amount. Novak Djokovic deserves to earn more than everyone else because he is yeah, the best. He is, he's outstanding. But does he deserve, but, would it kill him to earn 
$2 million or $1.5 million, and we can take that money and filter it down so that the, the pyramid that's holding Novak Djokovic and Serena Williams at the very top can sustain itself, and we don't have people match-fixing. Okay, well, look, looking at that solution there, because that's what we always look at these things, and we can all complain and shout and go, this is terrible, but what's the interest post the names that we know okay so we watch i know i don't care too much about tennis but i like the idea of the game mm. and because i love sport i'll watch certain things because you know, you've got to you got to know what's happening sure sure but now take a less tournament you know absolutely no one what mm. are the chances they're ever getting on tv what are the chances of people actually going to an arena and paying an admission fee to see it so like is there a way of building that up at all uh, look, no. Truthfully, no. I don't think so. I don't, I don't think you're ever going to get people interested in in some no-name tournament in the Ukraine where the winner gets gets nothing and it's a bunch of no-names. But that's, if if you're a market, if you're a, a brand, okay, let's just say yeah, Cliff Central. Mm. Someone goes right, guys. Do you want to? We'll name it the Cliff Central Open. It'll be played in Ukraine on August 14th. You won't know anybody, but can we have a million dollars? There's no return. Sure, there's like, no there's no return. But if you if, but then you could say, well, we're not going to worry about that petty thief or, or or that that broken pipe in some small community. That doesn't really affect us. We're only going to focus on what happens in downtown Johannesburg or or a main road in Cape Town because that's the only thing that people see. You got to you got to fix the small things if you want the whole structure to work. So right. to say that we're not interested in in those small tournaments, therefore we're not going to reward the players for what they deserve and, and to eradicate this problem of match fixing. I, I think that's, that's kind of turning blinkers onto, to a, a bigger problem. Yeah. I, I think, I think the point I was, I was more making there is as far as the solution coming from us is really, that's not going to happen. That's mm, not going to work. No. It has to be the, the powers that be right. that really have to restructure this from their side. I'm trying to think of a sport that's actually done a really good job with that. And I think golf, there's opportunities to make money in golf. Um, you know, football's football. Yeah. It's just on the sheer mass of people who play it. Exactly. There's going to be interest. Even if it's just friends and family in some countries, that's already getting a big crowd. And team sports are a lot easier to manage because True. there's, I mean, as you say, tennis is probably the easiest sport to fix. So by that logic, the, the interest at the bottom is, it's, it's confined to one individual, you know, so in, in, a, in a team sport, there's a lot of shifting and changing. And if it doesn't work in this, in this team, you can go to that team and there's certain dynamics that, that influence how successful you can be. If you're not successful at the lower ranking of tennis, there's no, there's nothing to blame that you, there's no, there's no team to look at. It's you. You're not, you're not being successful. Yeah. Now, one of the points that's come out of Djokovic's not dominance, when you think of it, the fact that Federer, twilight of his career, mm. I don't even think I'm being mean by saying that. No, sure. Uh, Nadal's had his injuries. I mean, he's like a sports car with a lot of mileage right now. Yeah. You think Murray psychologically might not be able to beat Djokovic, very similar players. There needs to be fresh talent coming through the whole time. And right. I think that in itself is reason for the guys to go, you know what? These guys at the top, like it's cool, Novak, you make your 48 million, you know, because you're taking your opportunities, but do you have to make 48 million? Yeah, exactly. Would you die on 38? You do, wouldn't. No, no, he wouldn't. <laughs> you, he, he wouldn't. You make, you make a pertinent point in the, in your story that, no one's going to then suddenly start going, well, okay, well, now I need to take MC gigs or whatever, whatever. There's enough money. It has to be a position now where they go, okay, right, we need the game to grow because it's one thing that Serena gets the final and these kind of girls will play her. It's one thing that not Novak wins and then there's Roger in that. But there always needs to be fresh blood. And there's got to be something more exciting they can do. And with the money comes that, surely. Well, the thing the thing is with, with tennis, because of because of the allure of, of the amount of money at the top, there's always going to be someone coming through. This match fixing is is not going to change the conveyor belt of talent that, that world tennis will always have. But what it will do 
is just kind of sort out that the potential for someone to become that. You just increase the amount of players that, that could jump on that conveyor belt. So at the moment, you might have 10 players earmarked for, for Grand Slam success. But if you, if you keep more players in, yes, those 10 players will still be there, but you might grow that to 15 or 20. And as you say, we will have, we'll have more of those players at the top. So it's not, it's not that we'll stop those players from getting to the top. We'll just increase the amount of players that could get to the top. Which would ideally create a bigger fan base. Now, I don't, I just want to actually stop the tennis right there because you have to go and read. Uh, I'm going to re- tweet it out after this, but you have to go read the whole article because, uh, some of the in- insights there from Chanel are interesting and at the same time kind of depressing. Yeah. But on the same token, right? Now we saw Pakistan as a cricket team. Mm. Now very tumultuous past where they've had an incredible raw talent that's come through. When you think from Yunus Khan all the way through, these oaks have had Amazing raw talent and great hair. Mm. <laughs> Second part, maybe not the most important, but these guys, they're an absolute commodity in cricket, I believe. Right. But look at the money. You'll see the big three. Everyone talks about the big three, Australia, India, England. Those guys are minted. They don't have to play IPL. It's fine. Look at Pakistan. They're not minted by that. India won't have them in the IPL. Mm. So here you've got players going, well, I'm making probably as much as the West Indian players. You get given a couple hundred dollars in a brown envelope. Less than a few of them. Exactly. Probably. Okay. So now you, it's the exact same thing happening again. You've got a small bunch of players who are thinking, well, look, I'm either going to go, I don't know, work at a petrol station or whatever, whatever work you can find. Mm. The world's economy is not great right now. Everyone's got issues, every country. Or am I going to try to stay and play cricket? I don't know. What sort of lifespan do I have? I get injured. Who knows? This guy's a better batsman, whatever, whatever. The chance of taking a bribe really, really good. And we've seen these young players. Some of them are coming back now. But it's it's just as, like, is it again? Is it the ICC's job to then actually monitor these things and monitor who's earning and almost subsidize just I, so the game can stay relatively pure? Look, once again, match fixing is 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 the literally the worst thing that that an athlete can do. It's worse than doping, in my opinion. Um, but we can we can look at match fixing in one or two ways. We can either see it as as this as this terrible thing that people will do, and it's just a few bad apples in the bunch, and and nothing we can do about it. But as soon as we we root them out, we punish them severely, and and let that be a lesson to other people. Or we can look at it as maybe the final straw in in a in a system that is wrong, and and. Yes, they're always going to in a, in a perfect society. There's always going to be a criminal, so you can you can sort that out. But there might still be a match fixer. But if 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 it's if it keeps happening, maybe what drives them to match fix is more important than them actually match fixing. I'm not saying. I mean, that's a bit utopian and and a bit idealistic. But I don't get the impression that's happening though. So I think it's a fair point. No, ex- exactly, exactly. So. It's it, it kind of just seems like it's it's reactionary whenever match fixing happens. It's always like, oh, he was a match fixer. We're going to punish him. Job done. You know, wipe our hands, pat each other on the back. But I, I as you say, I, I never see anything of why are these guys match fixing. Are they earning enough money? Is is this guy bowling a no ball on the thirty seventh over because he wants to drive a Jaguar, or is he doing that because he he wants to keep feeding his family and staying in cricket and he doesn't want to go get a desk job? Yeah. I think that that's the question that needs to be asked. But again, it's the lower level match fixing. Mm. I think the more marquee match fixing, if you like, that's always going to be here and there. I think that's just it. You'll get guys who are going to do whatever. For some of them, it's not even the money. It's the thrill. Something get bored, like the whole Winona Ryder shoplifting theory. <laughs> she never needed the ship, but she wanted sure. the edge. So I think this, these people have to really keep keep pegs in the fact that, say, here's a guy from an emerging nation, whatever. Mm. He's going to be in a big high-profile match. There needs to be maybe 
people need to go part of the management and go, right, guys, uh, Nepal, you're playing in this T20 tournament. You guys are suddenly in the public eye. Um, a lot of you have never left your country, let alone stayed in five-star hotels, whatever, whatever. Yeah. So this might happen. We're making you aware of it at the very least. I would just like to know that that is at least happening. Exactly. That would be nice. I mean, we, you know, the whole criticism of like, well, why do cops take bribes? Well, cops take bribes, a lot of them, because a lot of them are corrupt and a lot of them just want more. Those people are, are despicable. But a lot of them take take bribes because they, they feel like they're not getting paid enough. Exactly. So we can... Looking after themselves, as they say in the rap game. Right, exactly. So so as I say, if you're in the top 50, which which this BuzzFeed and, and, and BBC articles claim that 16 of the top 50 current players in, in men's and women's tennis have been involved in match fixing. That's terrible. These guys are, are definitely earning enough money. They don't need to match fix. So worrying those names haven't come out yet? Well, well, Roger Federer called for the names to come out. They, uh, BuzzFeed and, and, and the BBC have said that they haven't released the names yet because they don't have access to phones, bank, and what is it? Their phone and bank accounts. So, I hope it's not speculation. I I, I kind of want these names to be to be rooted out because maybe by example, you know, um, in a, in a previous article a while ago, I interviewed uh, someone from the German FA and he changed a lot in the youth development and he said that for something to happen, something something drastic needs to happen. Maybe this is that drastic thing, and we can finally solve the problem for tennis and and for people like Chanel Simmons, who is not e- I mean not even nearly breaking even. As a professional tennis player. Well, that in itself. Now, doesn't this just make you realize how beautiful a sport like golf is? <laughs> well, I mean, you never know. Who, who knows what's, what's happening? I mean, golf okay. like tennis would be an easy game to fix, wouldn't yeah, it? Yeah, but break it down. Who's really winning here? Because there's no certainty of someone winning a tournament, right? right. Jordan Spieth could be playing, Ricky Fowler, Roy McIlroy, all those guys could be in it, but there's mm. no guarantee they're going to win something unless it's seven shot lead in the final day, whatever. Right. Where most of the bets will come through first day, right? Sure. So if you go to Jordan Spieth and you say, Jordan Spieth, who made $50 million last year, say, Jordan, look, here's $10 million. Don't win this. He's going to say, well, you think I need money? Well, but, and, that, and that's why, and that's why, that's, that's why, once again, at, at the top, it's, it's, you can't understand why these guys do it. I mean, Novak Djokovic was once offered $200,000 to win a, I think it was a set. For him, it makes no sense because why take the money? I'm earning that much. Let me win it. But if you come up to some no name in some no name tournament against another no name and you're like, listen, bud, he has $10,000, lose this game. But now you get to, you get to stay in the, in the show for another year. I mean, what, what are the costs? We said $30,000. That's a third of your salary. And you're never going to win. You never. No one's going to know your name anyway. Just take the money and lose the sure. set. But I think in, in golf it's unique because there's no matchups. You're part of a field, okay? So maybe I'm thinking the match fixing might come in in golf where you say, okay, right, you need to miss the cut this week. Mm. But when you do the numbers, it's going to be a very difficult game to kind of. You might not even. You could try your best and still win. I mean, if everyone if everyone has a terrible day, well, right? There's that too, exactly. So I, I think I think golf is just coming out smelling cleaner and sweeter out of all the sports when you think of all these different things. I'm sure. I mean, you look you look thrilled by this. <laughs> always, always got to. I think golf is a game we should all be talking and enjoying a hell of a lot more. Um, yeah, Dan. Look, I, I had a list of questions. I think we covered absolutely everything. Time has rattled on a huge amount, but I'm watching a show. I want to share with you now. I'm watching Narcos at the moment. Oh uh, right, okay. So, if you think that corruption, match fixing, all that kind of stuff is unique, I think from the beginning of time, this has been a part. And I think as sports people, sports fans, whatever it is, we can't be naive to this anymore. If it's not this tennis match fixing thing here, something else is going to pop up. The cyclist that had the the motor in a in a bike, I'd love do- to know the full doping. Story of that. 
Yeah. I mean, it, it, it is, unfortunately, it is always going to be there, but we can, we can confine it and we can contain it and we can understand the dynamics of it and why it happens. And then maybe we can, we can move on from there. Yeah. It's a very good point, but I think it's just the, the sheer weight of, um, of greed and corruption and the sheer reality of the fact that sports stars, just like you and me, we have bills, we have aspirations, we have a need to take a holiday. Yeah, we have a need to—I don't know—put a sick child in hospital. But also just like, the, just the need to want to stay in the game. I mean, there's also that. Chanel Simmons, Chanel Simmons, and and people ranked down there. They don't play tennis because it's it's their job and and because they have dreams of being millionaires. They play tennis because they love it. And and the the yearning to to stay in tennis at, at any cost. It obviously proves too enticing for them and they, and they take the, they take the bribe. And something else I say is that, I say that tennis is, and like most sports, is a microcosm of, of capitalism. It's, it's all very well to say you're ranked at the bottom, just work hard and you'll get to the top and then you can start earning $4,000 at, you know, to get knocked out in the qualifying rounds as opposed to only winning $2,000 for a tournament. But as you know, like anyone who's, who's, who's struggling financially, if you're at the bottom, the system is kind of in place to keep you at the bottom and it's hard to kind of rise up. So Chanel can't afford to bring a coach with her on tour because she can't afford to bring a coach with her. When she loses a game, she doesn't know why she's lost a game. So she keeps losing games. So she's staying down there and now she's got to the point where I'm not, I mean, Chanel said that she's never been offered to match fix, but she sees it happen all the time. A lot of her friends have done it. And when you, when you kind of explore how tennis works, it's for me, it's, it's easy to be sympathetic to them. It's, you can never condone it, but you can understand why they do it. Lots, lots to think about here, Dan. Um, where, yeah, okay. So you, you kind of write a couple times in the weeks. Anything else that's should people just go to conquersport.com? Is that pretty much? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's all your a, musings. That's our, that, yeah, that's our, that's our site, conquersports.com. Because um, that's the thing on online. When you start writing good stuff, you'll want more. Sure. Well, you can find us on, they will slave drive you for more, Dan. <laughs> I look forward to it. Well, you can find us on Twitter at conquersports, um, C-O-N-Q-A. Um, I'm also on Twitter at Daniel Gallen, but we, I mean, we, we do, we do many things. We, uh, we host an elite sports summit in, in Cape Town in October where we bring together the best sports minds from around the world. So we'll have the head of the German FA talking about youth development. We'll have mm-hmm. Paddy Upton, who just won the big bash. He'll be talking about leadership and culture. And so we like to see ourselves as, I mean, we're just sports fans and we, and we like to know how sport works from, from maybe different angles that people don't really think about. And most importantly, you're bringing people together who can actually answer the questions, which well, is the important thing. Exactly. I mean, there's, there's so, there's so much knowledge out there. And, and I was having a conversation the other day and I think maybe sports fans often underestimate and think that all they want to do is, is know about results and know about the way a scrum works. But, but maybe let's take a step back and, and look at the bigger picture and what, what is the psychology of sports and what is the culture of sport and how does leadership play a factor and those are things we would like to talk about yeah spot on well Dan thanks so much for your time again if you want to find him on Twitter that's Daniel spelled in a conventional manner and then his last name is G-A-L-L-A-N Daniel Gallen on Twitter that's it for the show this week if you miss any of it live catch the podcast uh, it'll be up quite soon I'll put a whole blog post together with this and I'll play you the video of that Chris Gale thing anything that happens in the show here you'll see on the bounce.co.za probably about two hours after the show is uh, done live and uh, this week on the bounce.co.za there is a poll we talk about super rugby and what your feelings are towards that do you care about it there's a poll go onto that click onto any of the articles you'll see a poll on the right hand side just going to bring it up now. Your options this week will be Super Rugby. How excited are you about it? First option is bring it on. Second watch, second option, I will watch my team's games. 
Third option, I may catch the odd game. Fourth, too complicated to care about. And fifth, going to let paint dry instead. Have your say. And if you want to have any say outside of that, just email me, ben at thebounce.co.za. Any guest suggestions, anything you'd like to hear more or less of, it's your show as much as it is mine. So you go ahead, have your say, and I'll catch you back next Monday. This is cliffcentral.com.